Friends, we're going to be carrying on our I Do series. As you know, we're in week five. If you've been here for the past four weeks, we're on a marriage journey. But don't zone out right now, because if you're not married, then I'd like to tension it and say that we're on a relationship growing journey, friends. Specifically, we are preaching into marriage, but we are also talking about the greater relationships that exist between one another, between ourselves, and between ourselves and God, right? And so I would love for you to listen carefully to what it is that you, that you both have heard and are going to hear today. I want to remind us this morning, friends, that it's not good just to hear a great preach, right? The devil is not bothered about what you hear. He's not too concerned about what you listen to. He gets very concerned, friends, when you take truth and you begin to apply that to your life. That's when he sits up, that's when he takes notice, and he wants to know what's going on here. And so I would encourage you, as you've been listening to week in and week out over the past four weeks, today and some still to come, will you please take away something to apply in your relationship? Will you please take something away that you can apply in your marriage? Because the real work happens, friends, when the rubber hits the road, right? We understand that, and I would encourage you, please, to listen out for that. So this week, friends, we are going um, on a journey of going deeper in our relationships. Specifically, I want to have a look at how do we go deeper in our marriage. Like all good preachers, friends, when I began to, to prep for this, I went to Google. <laughs> Dangerous place to go. But it's good to, be, to understand, friends, the context of how the world sees you going deeper in marriage. And I was quite surprised to see a whole bunch of peas about how to get deeper in marriage, friends. A whole bunch of ways, friends, for us to go deeper in marriage. The one that really stood out for me, and I want to share this with you because I, I found this an absolute hose. 11 ways on how to improve your marriage without talking about it. Hey boy, exactly. That was exactly my response. 11 ways of how to improve your marriage. It is all over. The wonder that is Google, friends. Why am I mentioning this? Because you see, friends, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter what your background or your culture or your economic status is. I firmly believe, friends, that there are questions that we all ask in every relationship. And definitely, if my marriage is anything to go by, I ask this question regularly or these questions regularly in my marriage. And the questions are this. Do I exist? Do I exist to you? Do I matter? Do I matter to you? Do I have value? Do I have value to you? Am I good enough? Am I good enough for you? Friends, I'm being honest with you, and I trust you'll be honest with yourself. There has been a time in a relationship that you've had, there's been a time in the marriage that you have had or are part of, where you have asked those questions, friends. This morning, what I want to look at about how to go deeper in marriage is to understand and unpack a little bit more about identity, friends. 
I want to speak about identity this morning. There's two parts that I want to share this morning. There's, well, what does the Bible say about identity? But then I want to go beyond that, and I want to talk about experiential identity. Because that's what you and I experience every single day. Probably multiple times of the day, as you begin to understand a little bit about what that means, experiential identity. So instead of coming with a proverbial screwdriver that I could plunge into my heart and just do a quick adjustment and say, okay, I'm good to go now, or possibly plunge into my wife's heart and just do a quick adjustment and say, okay, she's good to go now. What I'm going to do today, friends, is take you to the start of a journey that my wife and I started probably a good 14 months ago. To put, you, to put your feet on a path and go, won't you and your significant other, whoever that might be, dare to go on a journey of finding identity in your relationships and finding identity in your marriage. So let's pray, and then we're going to have a look at it. So Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for Hebrews that tells us your word is living and active. And I pray this morning that your, your word would be living and active as it goes to work in our hearts, in our lives, and in our relationships this morning, we pray. Help me, Holy Spirit, to speak truth this morning. Give me the words, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So friends, let's start off right at the beginning. When I say identity, what do I mean? Well, there's two parts to identity. There's, in its most simplest form... The identity, friends, is formed through the combination of your physical and your behavioral traits. So you are a guy or a girl, you're a man or you're a woman, right? And we are firm on that. That forms identity, right? You have brown hair, you have blonde hair, you have red hair, you have whatever color hair you have. It's part of your identity. You have green eyes, you have blue eyes. You are short, you are tall. You have physical traits that help people to form an identity around who you are. You have then behavioral traits as well. You're either loving, kind, patient, or you're angry, impatient, unkind, or judging. Based on your behavior, friends, people form an identity around who you are. That's its most simplest form, friends. But that's not the only form. Identity is also formed through interaction. And that's where we're going to focus today. You see, by design, friends, God has made us to be an interdependent species. First and foremost, and this is, this is without debate, we are completely dependent on our Heavenly Father, right? Okay, so I want us to agree on that, and then I want us to put that aside. Because that's not what this preaches about this morning. I'm not saying it's not important, but I'm saying that I don't want to spend all this time speaking about what you already know. We are also, friends, interdependent on one another. God made people to be people, people. Not to be silos, not to be islands, not to be on their own, but to have people around them, friends. We have a dependence on one another God understood this, friends, when he said that all, all of this great book 
is wrapped up in two commandments. Jason, what are those commandments? Love God and love people, right? God understood what he was doing when he said that you are an interdependent creation. You are going to live your life, you are going to work your life out in two planes. Love me and love one another. And if you go and read the question that Jesus was asked, he said, all of the law, none excluded, is wrapped up in that, friends. We are interdependent. We need to interact. Our identity, for friends, comes from those factors, whether we consciously or subconsciously agree or don't agree. The way you look, the way you behave, and the way you interact with people, and the way you interact with God fundamentally forms who you are. That is your identity. The Bible speaks about identity right from the beginning of creation, friends. In Genesis 1, when, 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 when God is speaking to himself as the Trinity, he uses words like this, let us create people, let us create humans. And these are the phrases he uses, to be like us. Genesis 1.26, to be in our image, Genesis 1.27. Friends, I'm going to drum this drum because I want you to see it. Because when you start looking at the word of God through this lens of identity, you see God speaking into identity always. It is throughout the Bible. We, God imputed, we drew our identity from him. That was his heart when he said that creation will be created like us in our image. We reflect him, friends, by becoming like the Trinity. I tension that by saying we are not called to be the Trinity, but we are called to be like the Trinity, friends. Later on, when God is beginning to unpack his ways to the nation, to his people, he makes statements like this, I will be your God and you will be my people. Once again, identity statements, friends. Who is God to us and who are we to him? Primarily speaks about identity. We see if you fast forward to when God's own son Jesus came down onto this earth and was baptized. Remember the words that God the Father spoke over his son as he was being baptized. These were the words, three different statements, friends. This is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. All of those three statements, friends, statements of identity. I just want to just take a quick rabbit hole. I want you to realize, friends, that, that God spoke identity over his son before he spoke function over his son. At that point, Jesus had not done a single thing in terms of fulfilling his call, the mandate that God had given him. But yet as a father, he spoke and hear this parents, because I need to hear this. As a father, he spoke over his son before, they, before he had done anything. He said, you are my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you need to hear that this morning, friends. You are my child whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. We see if we just continue to look at Jesus, friends, 
the way Jesus modeled both in ministry and in his life, how he led the disciples and even friends, how he unpacked the gospel. You know, they say words speak louder, actions speak louder than words. Friends, when you look at Jesus's, the way, not just the how, but the way in which Jesus unpacked the gospel, the way he modeled the gospel, friends, you see that Jesus was all about forming identity in his apostles, in the disciples, but also giving friends the gospel a specific identity. It was a message that was unlike any other message before. Jesus, the way he lived, gave the gospel identity, friends. The Jews were expecting a king to come and save them. A king did not come. A servant came, Philippians 2 tells us, friends. We see when the Bible speaks about the birthing of the new church, the new Christians were not called Christians in the book of Acts. Christianity was a word that didn't exist. Who can tell me what was, what was the followers of Jesus? What was the way of Jesus described? I've given it away. <laughs> a way. It was called the way, friends. The way. Like I said, I'm going I'm to beat this drum because I want you to hear it. It was called the way, friends, because it carried a unique identity. It was not the message that people thought they should hear. It was different. Identity, friends, is throughout the word of God. Identity, friends, is spoken about through the gospel. Another rabbit trail I want to hit quickly. I shared this with the guys on Thursday. Sure, Tom. Let me just make this statement, friends. I want to speak about identity change. You see, identity change was first God's idea, friends, before it was man's idea. The message of the gospel of the good news of Jesus is all about identity change. Jesus finds us as slaves. He finds us as those that are captured by sin. And he changes our identity through us finding Jesus as Lord and making him savior into those friends that are no longer identified by our sin. We heard Tians refer to the fact that so many years ago, he suffered from alcoholism. The world would say he was an alcoholic. Sin identified Tiense's life. I'm just using you as an example. We've got a good relationship, so he won't get miffed at me. If you are a drug addict, friends, if you suffer from... Any form, any form, friends, of addiction, that sin will impute onto you an identity that is not yours. People will call you by that sin. They will identify you by that sin. Jesus came into the world, friends. He saved us. His process of redemption is a process of redefining who you are. You are a child of God. You're a citizen of heaven. You're in this world, but no longer of this world. Identity change, friends, was first God's idea before it was man's idea. The devil came to twist that 
to make it what we hear identity change is all about today. But you know what? The devil cannot work on the inside. He only works on the outside. He brings a perverted, twisted form of identity change, trying to take the original purpose of the gospel and twist and pervert it to make it something that it is not. And we need to see that for what it is, friends. The gospel is the only way in Christ that we can have identity change, friends. Romans 3.23, Romans 8.15 and Galatians 5.16. I'm not going to read those verses, guys, because there's just time. And I, I, I want to get to the experiential parts, but it's important to lay this foundation. Go and read those verses, please. Romans 3.23, Romans 8.15, Galatians 5.16-23. The, the, the verses that speak about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, friends. It shows us and it takes us on a journey of how the gospel changes, has changed my life and will change your life as well. The message of the gospel is both the power and the way, friends, for us to, say, to, to have our identity changed as we find Jesus as both Savior and Lord. What is the point I'm trying to make? Well, the gospel, friends, the Bible it's all about identity. Identity is to be found on almost every single page in this great book. But now let's talk about the experiential because that's what this I Do series is actually about, right? Experiential identity, friends. In, 19, in, in the 70s, I can't remember exactly which year it was, but in the 70s, there was a guy called Ed Tronic. Go and Google it. If there was enough time, I would have actually played the video for you, but there's not enough time, but you can go and have a look at it. This guy, Edtronic, friends, he did an experiment with a baby or babies, and he called it the still face experiment. Maybe you're familiar with it or not, I'm not sure. The gist of what he did, friends, was that he took a baby and put a baby in a room. Young child, not too young, but old enough to be able to engage with its environment. He put the baby in the room and he brought a woman in. I cannot remember if it was necessarily the, mother's, the, the child's biological mother. I'm not sure, but it's irrespective. It doesn't really matter. The woman came into the room and like all you moms, when you see babies, you're like, oh, and you engage with the baby and you're so cute and you're so great and I love your hair and you engage with a child, right? I see Kate smiling. Just watch my wife. She does this. She'll come and grab your child from you and do that. Forgive her. The point being, friends, is that the child responded to the woman who was engaging with the child through body language, through, through tone, through words. The child was reciprocating. It was engaging with this person. Why? Because we are an interdependent people. The child, the woman then didn't touch the child at all, didn't touch the child. The woman then turned around and walked out the room. Just allowed everything to settle down a bit. A couple of minutes later, came back into the room. Same woman, same baby. And all she did was she stared at the baby. Didn't, no facial expression, no words, no tone, no body language, just stared at the baby. The baby having recognized, friends, what had happened not so, not so long ago, all of a sudden was like, 
But then all of a sudden, you see this baby's complexion, facial expression, confusion. Because all of a sudden, there's no reciprocation. There's no engagement. There's no connection. When you go and listen to that, friends, and you hear them talk about that, what was happening in that young child's life was that child was losing identity right there and then because it couldn't draw identity from the person around it. Now, you might say, ah, that's a baby condition, that. No, friends, that's a human condition. That's a human condition. You see, friends, that baby ended up crying it ended up manifesting. It ended up getting so upset and so, walked, so worked up, the woman turned around, she just walked out the room. Remember, this was an experiment, people. Okay? She walked out the room. The baby was upset. Now, maybe you and I don't cry. But guess what? If I look at my life, I manifest. I manifest. Who hasn't who, who has been blue ticked here before? Yeah? Raise your hand, please. Be honest. No, 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 no. Be honest. No, come on. Really? Okay, let, let me explain what blue ticked means. You know when you send a WhatsApp message to somebody and you can see they've read it, but they don't respond? You know that feeling you get right there and then? Identity, friends. That baby, you. Who's been blue ticked before? Yeah, a little bit more honesty this morning. It's real, friends. It's real. And like I said, it happens to us more often than, when, than we think. And specifically, we're talking about identity in marriage this morning. The identity that a husband gives a wife, the identity that a husband receives from a wife. The identity that a wife gives a husband and the identity that a, a, a wife receives from a husband, friends, it happens to you more often than you care to think. That same feeling that you get when you are blue ticked, that we laugh and joke about. Let me give you another example. I walked, connect group for us. Some of our connect groupers are here this, this morning. I came into our connect group a little bit late on Wednesday. We run our connect group on Wednesday mornings, sorry, Wednesday evenings. And I had spent a couple of days up in the Midlands where we work and I came in after the rest of the guys had got there. And I walked into the kitchen. Hi, everybody. Hi, wife. Super excited to see my wife. Well, my wife looked at me and was like, hi. And she carried on cooking because she was running around. She was a little bit late. I was like, devastated, <laughs> devastated. My wife didn't greet me. What have I done? How, when did I upset her? You know that, that journey that you go on in your head when you don't have the full story, but you fill in the blanks? Yeah, yeah, you've all been there. You might as well just nod your head. That's what happens, friends, when we begin to lose identity. Identity, friends, is not only from God in a vertical sphere, dimension, but also from one another. The question that you ask yourself in your marriage, whether you know it or not, is exactly the same question that everybody asks in relationships. Wife, husband, 
do I exist? Do I exist to you? Do I matter? Do I matter to you? Do I have value? Do I have value to you? Am I good enough for you? Am I good enough? Am I good enough for you? Depending on how you do or you don't answer those questions, friends, will be a good depth gauge in terms of your marriage. And so I want to quickly, because we do, we do need to land this now, I want to give you four exercises that I would love for you to do. Find the time to do this. Nix and I, in some shape or form, we do this every single day, most days. Most days, most days. And it's around those questions, friends. You see, as I said, losing identity is not just about babies. It's about you and I. In our marriages, in your relationship, you will both give and lose identity every single day whether you are conscious of it or whether you are not. So how do we recognize, how do we engage with one another, friends, around this idea of giving and losing identity? Well, firstly, I would encourage you to recognize the moment that you lose identity in your day. We jokingly refer to that feeling that you got or you get when you get blue ticked. It's that thing I'm talking about. Now, the more you begin to focus on it, the more you begin to see it. That's how this works. And it's a good thing to see, friends, because you can't fix what you don't know. Recognize in your day, friends, when you do or don't lose identity. Ask, what has happened here? What am I not feeling? Was there an identity loss for me? You see, friends, if we don't recognize these moments, I can tell you now, by experience, these things tend to just escalate. They do not get better, they just escalate. So whatever it is, whenever you experience that moment of losing identity, friends, understand that thing will just progressively get worse unless you deal with it. Unless you're identified and deal with it, friends. Just like the baby that cries, just like manifestation that so naturally happens, it doesn't go away, friends. But it's all right. Because it's who God created us to be. We just need to work it out. You're not wrong in feeling that. You just need to work it out. That's all. Your spouse is not wrong in not giving you identity, you guys just need to work it out. Why? Because people need to be with people. We are interdependent friends. It is no good throwing the toys, getting miffed, giving each other the silent treatment. I'm not going to speak to you for days on end. It is no good taking the position of I'm not going to speak to them. They must come and speak to me. I have been there, friends. It escalates. It only gets worse. Identify it. Secondly, learn to communicate identity loss, friends. And I'll tell you how, or I'll show you how. But when we communicate, friends, let's not make it about accusation. Because remember, you're trying to understand something here. You're not accusing your spouse of anything. 
Learn the language, friends, of conversation and not accusation. If you are the spouse that is being, that is, that is hearing something, learn to listen without defending. We heard that last week. And the week before that, actually, and the week before that. I urge you, friends, because from experience, once again, don't accuse and don't defend. Talk. Talk. We are not children. We are called to communicate. We are called to talk. It's not about finding or apportioning blame. It's about communication, friends. This is some of the language that is used around communication. I, and these, this is, this, these are the statements or the questions that I encourage you to find an appropriate time in the day. Not 10 o'clock in the evening, friends, when you're tired and you have no EQ and you have no time and all you want to do is fight with your wife because you want to go to bed. Wrong time to have the conversation. Find an appropriate time. The, the, the conversation revolves around these things. I receive identity from you when? Fill in the blank. For me, it's when my spouse tells me she loves me. It's when my spouse greets me, friends, enthusiastically at the end of the day, like she's missed me that day. And I'm not just a piece of toast that has walked in the room. It's when she chooses to make me coffee without me having to ask about it. As a guy, and most guys will identify with this, but I'm not talking about the sexual thing. It's when my, when my spouse touches me and shows me love. As she walks past me, she just puts her hand on my shoulder. She puts her hand on my chest. She holds my hand. It's not a big thing. It's a moment, but it communicates so much in that moment, friends. I receive identity when the opposite of that is I lose identity when. My moment of truth, I lose identity, friends, when my wife is on her phone all the time. I don't know about you. That's me. I get triggered. I've told her this. I, she, her phone triggers me. The third question, or the third statement, is I receive a still face from you when? Remember, we're going back to the still face whole ex ex experiment. I receive a still face from you when? Or I give you a still face, friends. And for me, I receive a still face from my wife once again. And we, I've, I've identified this a couple of weeks back. And we've made some changes and it has revolutionized so much. I receive a still face, friends, when my wife is on her phone all the time. We might be driving somewhere, she's on her phone. We might be going somewhere, she's on her phone. I'm in her presence, but she's not necessarily in mine because she's on her phone. So we've spoken about that. We haven't fought about that. We've spoken about that and we've understood that, friends. She receives a still face from me when I bring work home. She's told me that. 
You come home, but you're not present. You come home, but you still spend the next 45 minutes on the phone sorting out the world's problems, but you're not home. Now, I don't know where you're at and I don't know what, what's, what, what does it for you, friends. But I encourage you to have a conversation around those four things. I receive identity from you when this happens. I lose identity when this happens. I receive a still face from you when, and I give a still face. Recognize your behavior and listen to what your significant other says. Thirdly, have a conversation about that then. Don't just make it a statement. Engage, have a conversation, communicate around that. Questions like, well, what happens for you when that happens? We've had these conversations, friends. Why? This is what Nikki has said. When I'm on my phone, why do you feel like you're losing identity? And we've had a conversation around that. She understands it. I understand it. We're so much better for it, friends. What happens? What am I missing? The guys talk about following the energy. Now, this is not a new age thing, but it's follow the energy. Have the conversation. And then lastly, if you need to, which most times you do, Take ownership, friends, of the situation and your role in that situation. Is there a way that you can adjust your behavior? Is there a way that you can adjust your actions so that your spouse does not lose connection and ultimately does not lose identity, friends? You see, I could have come here this morning, I believe, and spoken about logistics and mechanics. Have a date night three times a month you know, do this, do that, do this, do that. I love Brent, but the engineering approach. Honestly, you've tried that. Does it work? Sometimes. Does it consistently work? No. Because we've got to get a little bit deeper and adjust, identify some of the issues and work on that. And can I tell you now, having done this for a little while, we're perfect. No, we're not. We're not perfect. We're on a journey and you will be on a journey, friends. But it's a journey worth taking. Amen? Won't you stand, please? So, Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, for your ways. We don't always understand your way, Lord, but yet... Father, we choose to follow your way. I'm just reminded again, church of Isaiah 55, that says, my ways are not your ways. But my ways will bring about a success, Isaiah 55 says. It will accomplish that for which it has been sent. And so this morning, Lord, we choose to acknowledge and see your way of identity. It's a different type of preach this, a different subject, but yet very relevant I believe Father help us primarily to draw identity from you but let us recognize as well that we are not islands <laughs> we give and receive identity from one another in every single relationship that we are part of specifically marriage help us to make the adjustments that are needing to be made help us to see one another help us learn to learn Father to give and receive identity well as we become more and more like that picture of marriage.
Jesus in the church. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen.